three, two, one. This is Own the Block Podcast, and these are your hosts, Josh Derriman and Pierce Burton. This is Pierce Burton and Josh Derriman. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the fear that's out there in the current market and things that we're seeing as mortgage lenders and real estate investors who lend nationwide and from a lot of our investors who are buying in markets all over the country. Josh has prepared some slides for us to call for Colin to pull up. Josh? Yeah, Pierce. Uh, the first one I wanted to talk about I thought was interesting is I was looking at the, uh, the quarterly average for the change in, in home prices uh, for, for quarter three. And so if you look at this, if you look at this chart, uh, it shows um, really almost the entirety of the West Coast uh, was negative for quarter three. And then you see a lot of green in central and southeastern United States. And so Florida did really well, Mississippi, um, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, that whole belt in there did, did really, really well. And if you're listening to the news, you would think that you know, everything is crashing. And it's not really the case. There are pockets where it's definitely very soft, but there are, there are whole swaths of the country where values are not dropping very much or they're actually improving. Now, this, this is lagging data, but it, I, was, I was surprised by that. As you know, the media kind of is controlled by the coasts. So I think that has a large portion of the fear out there of the markets crashing is, you know, you do see on that chart, I think I see New York there, as well as obviously California and the surrounding states of, uh, New, of uh, California on the West Coast. What do you think the main reason in your mind, Josh, that those southern states and Midwestern states are holding strong? Obviously, those areas are uh, traditionally cheaper areas overall than um, you know, the West and then the far uh, Northeast. Yeah, I, I, I personally think it's an affordability question. Uh, when you start looking at these, and, and a lot of these states that are green, have more affordable housing, and so when you're when you're looking at some of these some of these negative areas, and New York's not down that much. It had a had a big leg down earlier in the year, uh, but uh, I really do think that what it's what's happening is the, there's there's an affordability issue, and especially investors. You and I talk about it all the time. And there's a lot of the investors that 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 are very focused on these green states that we're looking at, and uh, it's because of exactly that. They're affordable. There's good rents. You can get a good price for the rents, uh, so so there's a lot um, a lot going on in those states. Whereas um, California, Oregon, Washington, prices are so much higher, rents are so much worse. Uh, it's really it's really an affordability question, to my eye. Yeah, I think um, a stat that I see that is missed quite often, and something that I actually have looked at for particular markets for investing and not investing is median home price um, compared to medium, median household income. Because if the median household income cannot afford the median home price with current interest rates, basically meaning that their debt to income ratios over you, you know, a, a certain amount um, comparing median to median, then you're gonna have a tough time for that affordability. And so you look at areas like California and with interest rates rising, um, 
you know, those homes have become unaffordable because everybody uh, in that particular state is, is house poor. Totally, totally agree. One of the things that I wanted to talk about, everybody, everybody knows the adage that real estate's local. Right now, it's, it's, it's really hyper-local. Particular neighborhoods, particular price points make a huge difference on whether, the, whether you can get a good deal or not. Um, I wanted to highlight uh, a particular property. Um, this one is in Sacramento. I'm, I'm, I'm on a Sacramento kick today. And so I'm, let's pull it up right now. So this particular house is a beautiful house. I would love to own it. It's on the market right now for $9.49. And so if you, if you take a look at the history of this, this property, this seller started off uh, at $1.3 million uh, in late May. It was contingent for $1.3 million. And, uh, you know, fast forward about five and a half months, they're now, they're now still on the market for 25% less. Now, the Sacramento market is not down 25%, but this is a good indicator of certain price points, especially the higher price points, um, uh, you know, really, a, you know, significantly above the, the median price for areas, you're really seeing pretty substantial discounts uh, to, to what you would have seen, you know, six and 12 months ago. Yeah, and I actually had a client call me, you know, a couple months ago and asked me, he goes, what, what would you be investing in right now with the way interest rates are and the market? And I said, I wouldn't buy bigger than a home price below the median square footage, meaning uh, I think the average square footage in the U.S. right now is 1,700 square feet. And I said, uh, the first thing to drop is going to be those high-priced homes and those, those three-bed, two-bath homes, those four-bed, two-bath homes, those are going to remain high because people aren't going to be moving out of them to upgrade into larger homes, and there's still going to be first-time home buyers looking to get in that market and investors looking to get in that market. And so I would continue to buy those at this current time, wait until those higher, larger-priced homes drop first, and if you see an opportunity there where it drops low enough where you can still cash flow the property, then you purchase that, uh, that asset class. But right now, stick to the basic blue collar housing. When, when, I was, when I was buying and flipping properties, that was my number one rule, is you stick within the affordability band. Uh, you know, it may seem like a great deal to buy something for $2 million, but if the market changes on you, uh, you, you you're going to be you're going to be out there trying to sell a house to you know very low single digits of the population, and that's what's going on right now. So um, there's areas the Carolinas, you know, you saw it, you saw it on what we just what you just looked at. The Southeast is doing really well, and in the in that affordability band, that's where you want to be right now. And there are. Oddly enough, there are uh, still great deals to be had, but it depends on the locale, it depends on the neighborhood. Uh, you really, you know, you have to be careful about that. Pierce, one, so one of the questions that everybody asks is, uh, where do we think the market is going? Are we going to lay, we're going to continue to lay down? Is it going to be a uh, kind of a short recession and then prices are going to pop back up? You and I have gone round and round about it. I'm of the thought that we're, 
what the what the feds have done so far they it's been very predictable they basically said what they were going to do we're starting to kind of um, we did a 50 basis point increase it looks like they're going to do a 25 and then they should start become a little little dovish and we're already seeing in the mortgage side we're seeing interest rates improve and I'm I'm predicting that you know beginning of next year maybe into quarter two we're going to start to see pricing start to improve we're going to start to see people getting out there buying and so from the investor perspective what do you think is happening so i think from an investor perspective i've always said this if you have the money to buy you should buy now because if interest rates go up there's so many clients that have been waiting for the, those rates to drop and i think we're going to see appreciation like we we haven't seen it before so I think if if rates just get back down to where they were pre-pandemic levels, which I think we were sitting right around a primary uh, primary residence interest rate of about 4.75, which I think for about five years was normal. Um, once that happens, which I think you're right around quarter two, I think we're going to have a wild summer uh, of of real estate buying, and so buying today might earn you 10 to 25% in equity in, in the next 12 months. I, I really believe that. That's a good point. Um, we oftentimes we're looking at what the discount was against a property six or 12 months ago. But if we do have a, a kind of a shallow drop and then it starts to push back up, um, it should push back up pretty quickly. Prior, just right around Prior to COVID, um, and then immediately after, we saw uh, kind of a, a reduction in, in pricing. And we were seeing it for obvious reasons. And then once we started to come out and people could start buying again, seeing houses, it just, things took off. And I think we're gonna see that again once, once, the, you know, once people start feeling more comfortable, rates coming down, inflation coming down, gas prices coming down. It's, I, I think, I think mid-2023, uh, there's a very good likelihood that it's going to be, you know, a little bit bananas. Yeah, real estate has that crowd mentality, right? And there's a lot of things that have that. But that crowd mentality, if, if you follow the crowd, sometimes you might end up jumping off a cliff, right? And um, definitely feel like that's kind of happening right now where um, people are hearing that things are gonna be going bad and it's, it, it, it's the difference between t today and 2008 is this is all basically Fed controlled in, in a way. And we don't have a bunch of arms out there. We don't have a, a bunch of bad loans, there's no negative amortization loans out there and so there's really no reason for a crash other than interest rates are up i was i was in the middle of it in 2006 7 8 i saw everything that happened the aftermath there was there was absolutely right before everything crashed it was it was it was crazy people were doing stated stated no doc don't verify income, don't verify assets, people trying to flip properties for five, $10,000 profit. It was crazy, it was very, very frothy. 
And even at the time before it completely crashed, I had indicators I was getting out of the market. Um, the current market as it is, I don't see those same things. Like there, there are the, the buyers out there, you're not seeing people get uh, loans where they can't afford them. Uh, there's, there's more controls than there, than there was in 2007 and eight. Um, pricing, even though the prices are higher when you take into account inflation, it's not nearly where we were. It's, it really does feel like, uh, even though we're going through an inflation issue, uh, which hopefully is temporary, that we're still in a relatively health, healthy place compared to where we were in, you know, six, seven, eight. Yeah, yeah. when I first got in the business, and I, I think I told you this story, um, had a guy call me, one of my dad's best friends, you know, and it was when rates were starting to drop and he needed some money out of his house to fix it up and sell it. And he goes, Pierce, I got to do this, this loan for you. And I could tell this or do this loan with you because I and I can tell this story only because the statute of limitation of being able to take people to prison is definitely up. So he, he bought his house in like 1993 and apparently he walks in the bank and he cannot get a loan. And so he goes to my father and my father was a general contractor. He was a general contractor and he goes, hey, Larry trying to buy this house and can't buy it because uh, don't have any income documentation. My dad literally takes his P&L and, and says, and throws this guy's name on it and goes, here you go, try this. And he walks into the bank and he tells me this whole story. He walked into the bank and he hands him this P&L. Banker looks it over and the banker stands up and he goes, I thought the banker was standing up to like get security or tell me to get the fuck out of the bank. He stood up and he said, congratulations, Mr. Blank. Uh, we'll have no problem getting you this house with this. And he's like, we clo closed the loan a week later. And that type of thing sure as heck is not happening in today's market. Do you have a funny story about maybe the craziest loan with the least amount of documentation you, you, you were able to do or, or, or something like that back in the day, Josh? Oh, I, I, we could be here for hours and hours. I, I, I remember once um, I had a nurse and she uh, was sick and so she needed uh, some money to, to take care of herself. And we did a no income, no asset loan for her, cash out to 100% financing and um, it worked out really well for her. Um, that's a terrible, no, that's a terrible fucking story. I'm gonna tell you a better story. The woman died. <laughs> um, and she still got the loan? Of course she did. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, died, she died after we closed, but. Um, oh, okay. No. Here's my story for you, and it's actually gonna be from your dad, because I, I knew your dad back in the day. And so, um, it was the house right next to your, your dad. You know the house. And um, he came to me and uh, his income was a complete disaster. And at that time, uh, we had, uh, we had a, a lender, ubiquitous, ubiquitous lender at the time that would do negative amortization. And they were very, very liberal in what you could allow. So he worked for your dad and your dad wrote up 
a handwritten pay stub. Hey, I pay you know, Joe Blow X amount of dollars per week. And we funded a negative amortization loan with, I think, 25% down on a handwritten pay stub from his employer. Who was my dad? Who was, who was your dad? Who was your dad? <laughs> and, and as you know, these days, that wouldn't, that wouldn't even get out the door. Like, you know, we would, you know, we'd get thrown off the, the third story of our building by the underwriter. That would, never, that would never fly. At the time, they were like rubber stamp all day long. 25% down NAGAM with this ridiculous, uh, you know, note from an employer. Very quick story is I had a buddy's dad call me and he goes, he's just, he's self-employed and he's complaining about how hard it is to get a loan these days. And he goes, he goes, yeah, back in the day, I, I bought two primary residences on the same day with two different banks. <laughs> and, and so... The moral of the story of all these stories is these things are not happening today, people. And, and so we're not even close to the same market that we were in, in, in 08 at all. And you're starting to see some of these hedge funds even be bullish about buying again. I th I've, I've read some different things on that. You've seen that as well, Josh? Yeah, no, there's not the shenanigans that were going on in 2008. You know, we've seen we've seen some things happen. Uh, you know, we've seen the Zillow come into the market and try to be an eye buyer. Uh, we've seen some companies come in and, and, and try to pay cash, help buyers pay cash. Those guys are, are, are largely gone. And so we're getting we're, we're, we're shedding some of the nonsense, but it's not it's not crazy, crazy stuff. We're just shedding some of the nonsense and getting back to kind of a you know, healthier market uh, for buyers. But if you think about it, if you have 100 buyers a year ago that were out there looking to buy, you might only have 75 right now because of, of concerns about the market, uh, interest rates, inflation, all of that. But if, if you have 75 buyers out in the market versus 100, it's actually not that bad. Like we were, we were going gangbusters a year or two years ago. And so it's backed off a bit, but it, it's not like it's rock bottom. We're at 25% of the volume. So, um, you know, three, four months ago, we were talking about whether or not there would be that, that blood in the streets, crazy discounts, and it doesn't seem like that's where we're going. Yeah, and I think one thing that's going to keep housing prices up for a long time and continue to make houses just more unaffordable altogether is the lack of blue-collar workers. What kid grows up in today's day and age and says, I want to be a construction worker? It, it, it doesn't happen. And in fact, I can't remember basically anyone under, I'm 31, anyone under my age. I don't know a single person that is in the construction handyman type of business. And so, and everywhere you go, people are like, I can't find someone. And so that worker is going to become a premium in the space, which is only going to drive the cost of housing up even because if you can't build the house for a certain price, then housing becomes even more of an asset asset. And so I think that's something that's looked that, that's not seen. And I remember thinking that when I was 18 years old, nobody wants to be a construction worker these days. And so you're not going to be able to build homes. 
I mean, I joke about it, but it does feel like there's a large segment of the population, or I should say larger than it, than it normally has been, that just don't want to work. And, and the idea of getting out there with a hammer and nail and going out there, um, I, you know, you're just not seeing it. And it, as we've discussed before, you know, building a house is a pain in the ass. And you're just not, uh, we had a client last week that was going to build a house, a new construction, and she backed out after she realized all of the, all of the drama, expense, time that it would take to build a house when she could just buy a house that's pre-existing for less than it would cost her to build a house. And so right now it costs you less to buy a pre-existing house than to build a new house. So going back to our, our Sacramento discussion, so this, this slide is the monthly median price in Sacramento County. And this is, this is this interesting to me. And you know, statistics are, are you know, statistics are, are lies. Uh, there's so many ways to make, make something work. Uh, but what this is showing us is that in January, and if we're looking at the blue line, January of 22, the average home price in Sacramento County was 515. And if you go all the way over to right about, uh, looks like September, October, it's right about the same price. So you had some increase mid-year, and now we're right about where we were at the beginning of the year. And so if we think about that original uh, slide that I showed, where California was down like 3.5% for the quarter, well, this, for just Sacramento County, this is a pretty good indicator is that we're basically back to where we were in January. We may go a little bit down. Sacramento County, I think, is a little bit harder hit than some other places, but it's not some massive drop. One thing that I think that's forgotten, Josh, is January, especially in colder areas, I don't think it matters as much in maybe Florida where I live, but it's much more hot in the summer in terms of housing market. And so traditionally prices do fall in, in January anyway, and homes sit on the market longer. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens this next summer because uh, typically, I've always said this to clients, the best time to buy a home is in January or February on a home that was posted in November or early December because that home has been through the holidays and that person's been sitting at home at Christmas going, man, I really need to sell my house. I just bought all these damn presents for everybody. And people don't think about that, but I love buying homes in January, February, and February. Best time of the year to buy a house. Absolutely. And, you, and you're right. Putting your house on the market November, December, October is, is really tough because it's not really the buying season. And then you go through this slower period and you end up having sellers that are just absolutely anxious to get rid of their property. And so you start hitting them up in January, maybe early February, you're going to get a discount. So save that Christmas money, and uh, don't buy anybody any gifts. I was gonna get I was gonna get Colin something, but changed my mind. So Pierce, before we end the podcast, I wanted to talk about something. 
uh, we get a lot of investors that are nervous about where interest rates are right now. And uh, what I like to talk to in the investors about is it doesn't really matter where the interest rates are now. We're definitely seeing them go down. Uh, we're seeing um, Fannie Mae came out, said that they expect primary residence rates to be in the mid fours. We're seeing very predictable movement downward. We're seeing inflation come down. Uh, we're seeing the market start to improve. What are you telling investors? What do you think about buying a property now and where the interest rates are now? And whether it makes sense to buy now and potentially refinance six months down the road, whether buying now at a, at a, a price discount makes sense, even at higher interest rates. So I think there's a large community out there that's worried about cash flow on every property in its current state and in the current state of the market. The truth is, is if you buy properties now and over time, you're going to have a positive cash flow at, at some point, even with the interest rates of today. Right. And so my anytime I do a real estate deal, I, I'll talk to I'll talk to my dad about it. And first thing my dad asks me is, well, what's your monthly positive? And within the last year, I started telling him, I, it doesn't matter what the monthly positive, it's about the collective of all my properties and whether they cash flow because I'm in the growth phase. I'm not living off of that monthly income and most of our listeners aren't either. So as long as your collective gives you a positive cushion, then you're gonna be fine. And as interest rates drop, you can refinance and take advantage of that refinance. But right now, I'm not even looking at cash flow on my deals. What, what I'm looking for is value add type deals or stu stuff being sold at a discount, which is easier to find now than it has been in the last three years. So, you know, that's the type of thing that I'm, I'm telling clients and we can't play the prediction game, but rates aren't going to stay like this forever. And when they do, as long as you're buying properties that maybe barely cash flow or just pay for themselves or have a slight negative that you, you can handle with your current income, then you're going to be all right. One of the things that we never really touch on, you and I personally, and we can't really talk to our clients about with it within too much depth, are the tax benefits of owning property. So even if, you're, even if your property barely cash flows or it's slightly negative, the tax benefits that you get on having investment property are huge. And can, even, even if nominally it looks like you're taking a little bit of a loss, when you take into account your tax benefits, you actually get a lot of benefit from owning a property even if it's a loss. Sure, and one thing I always tell you know, I have some wholesaler friends, realtor friends, um, house flipper friends, people who don't own any real estate. And I've never seen anybody be wealthy off of those three activities. You can be rich for a little while, but you're going to work until you're 80 years old uh, do doing those things because you are not getting the tax benefits from it. I have a buddy uh, actually, who's here in Sacramento, who does house flipping, and he started keeping more, more properties. 
And he's like, man, he's like, I wish I would have done this a, a, a long time ago. He's like, I'm, I'm behind the eight ball. I had all the sources for, you know, I had the contractors to fix these properties up. I had, um, you know, the, the good deals and I was selling them to end investors for a quick, a quick profit. And uh, hold, holding that real estate, you're going to have a lot more tax benefits. I, you know, I own over 200 units and I've never paid a dollar in, in uh, income taxes on, on my properties and because I just cash out refi them. I've, and I've only ever sold one property, primary residence that I lived in for three years. So there was no capital gains. Thanks for joining everybody. Next week, we're going to have Thomas Zetagrin on the podcast. He works for a turnkey real estate investment company. This company uh, basically buys homes from wholesalers, fixes them up, and then sells them to end investors. And then they also manage the property for that end investor. Most of those investors being out of state real estate investors who are buying their first one to four properties typically. I'm excited about the guest. He's going to be a very good guest. This is going to be some good information. Thank you.